Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I am Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. So uh, I think I've figured out a way around my issues that I was having the other week with my webcam. Still not an ideal situation, but at least Brittany can see me, which is always nice. Well, I... <laughs> yeah. well were, were you about to insult me? <laughs> no, I was about to say some of you might not like my ADHD random comments, but Brianna has a friend that said I was a hoot. So Yes. So Amanda Bowen. <laughs> Amanda Bowen Schaefer. I forgot she she's married. So Amanda, thank you for that shout out. And no, not my sister Amanda. It's a very different Amanda. She reached out to me this morning just letting me know she was listening, that she was enjoying it and just we started to reminisce a little bit so it was nice she said i was a hoot yeah this case today i made it a goal of mine this season i think we both kind of did to try and focus a little bit more on international cases rather than Mm -hmm. focusing primarily on cases that happen in the united states so this is one of those international cases i actually heard about this because an article popped up i don't know if you guys use google chrome app on your phone but i do because i don't like safari (laughs) and so so ghetto um I okay. Listen, it saves all my passwords. So actually, I'm 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 thinking. So does ahead. mine. So, and I use anyway. Safari. <laughs> okay, but it's combined with the pat. Like I can just easily transfer stuff from my phone to my computer, so it's less of a hassle. You could easily I don't have do Mac, that. Brittany. You. I was going to say you can easily do that if you just got a Mac. And I'm not going to spend over a thousand dollars on a Mac just so I can do that when I can download a free app. <laughs> That's right off, baby. I guess, but you gotta have the money first anyway, and I don't. I'm poor. Get a credit card. Working on it, but I'm poor. (laughs) (laughs) That's the reason I'm poor. (laughs) Because of my as because of my credit card debt. Anyways, yeah. So it popped up as uh, a headline because Google likes to show headlines of news things based off of what you search. So I was interested. It piqued my interest. It said something about how we know finally what happened to the 43 students who disappeared in Mexico. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> like, I feel like that's a pretty big deal. Like, I feel like that's something I should have heard about. And I might have heard about it when it happened. It happened in 2014. However, I don't remember. I don't recall if I had heard about it. So a lot of this case was new to me. So I figured we would go ahead and talk about it on here. The problem is it's still technically unsolved. (laughs) And we know how we feel about unsolved cases, but it is what it is, you know, like sometimes that happens. But the more people who know about this case, the more likely it is that somebody will have information to help solve it. So (laughs) without further ado, yeah, we'll go roll it right into this. Uh, this is the case of the Ayatsanapa 43. And I want to apologize in advance if I mispronounce anything. I practiced, but there are some names that I was not familiar with beforehand. So. Unlike me, who just tries my best when we get there. <laughs> Listen, it's sometimes you just got to roll with it. You just got to roll with it. All right, so we're going to give a little bit of background on the college where these students were from, because there were 43 students who disappeared, and that's a lot of people, so I can't really go into the background of all of these students. I will say, however, that the majority of the students, I believe, were in the range of like 19 years, no, 18 years old was the youngest, and then I think there were up to like 21, 22 as well. The school was the Raul Isidro Burgess Rural Teachers College, 
but it is better known as the Ayatsanapa Rural Teachers College. It is a higher level educational institution only for men located in Guerrero, Mexico. It's a place in southwestern Mexico. So that's regionally where that is. It was established as a part of a mass education plan implemented in the 1920s. It was intended as a way to help many of the men from poor and indigenous backgrounds to get ahead. I think I saw about 66% of the population in Guerrero lives in poverty. So, Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So this was a way to help people get educated. I believe they focused a lot on like uh, primary school education, if I remember correctly. So, Which is like what? Uh, elementary? Mm-hmm. So it was teaching teachers to help with expanding education efforts. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, it is also said that this was a uh, college where there was a strong proponent for social transformation, uh, which means that it was big for activists and social movements. There were a lot of activists from the 20th century, apparently, who went to this college. There were a couple names that were listed in the Wikipedia page, but I did not write them down. So I apologize, but that's very easily uh, accessible if you would like to go and see. They're listed in the show notes. Yes, yes, that one is, it's listed in the show notes. So one example of one of the things that they tended to advocate for, the students annually went to the capital city of Chilpancingo, Chilpancingo, for protests and demonstrations to advocate for their needs, such as renovations to the building, budgetary revisions, things like that. That's nice. So because of this reputation, the local authorities were said to be wary of student protests because they believed that they were tied to leftist guerrilla organizations and rival political groups. Guerrilla? Yeah. So guerrillas, it's the way it's spelled. It's not like gorilla the monkey, you know, um, or I guess the gorilla, the animal. Uh, but it's... I think it's an ape. <laughs> it's an ape. Okay. I don't I don't actually know. <laughs> but it it's it's an animal of some kind. I watched um, Animal Planet instead of cartoons as a child. I know. Wow. It's an ape. Is that how you mixed Apes. up amphibious and ambidextrous? <laughs> you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> there, there's one. <laughs> okay. So it's uh gorilla is essentially like an underground, not like a like an army, like an official army, but it's an underground, like, I guess sort of like a militia, essentially, like it is here. So we're, that's really the main setting of the stage. Uh, we're going to go into the day of the crime. Again, this is an unsolved case, so there are still a lot of details that aren't necessarily known to the public at this time. And also the names of those who were allegedly involved are still considered innocent until they eventually are on trial and said to be guilty. So just wanted to preface that with that. So this is the evidence of what we know for sure happened that day. So a large group of students, I saw that it was over 100 students. I don't know actually how many there were. They commandeered. I saw hijacked, commandeered, and then that they bus drivers were willing to actually take them to wherever it was they were going. So depending on which narrative you believe, either way, they got some buses that they were hoping to take to participate in this annual commemoration of the 1968, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Tlateloco. I'm going to spell it because I definitely butchered that, but it's T-L-A-T-E-L-O-L-C-O. The massacre that happened in 1968 in Mexico City on October 2nd. So 
Mexico City on a good day is about, I think I saw like a three and a half hour drive via toll roads. If you don't take the toll roads, because like this college was in a rural area, um, it could be up to six and a half hours. So it's a couple hours away from where they were, which is why they were like getting buses to to go up there collectively. You said they lived in poverty, so they probably didn't have cars. That too. So this was probably just the easiest way to for them to get that many students out to this commemoration event and this demonstration. So along the way, they were also planning to disrupt a conference that was in the area. The mayor of Iguala, which is like, I guess, the city that's beside where the college was. I don't remember exactly where it was in relation. I just know it was like a nearby city. Jose Luis Abarca Velasquez and his wife, Maria de Los Angeles Pineda Villa, <laughs> were hosting an annual conference for the organization DIF, for which she was the president. DIF is the National System for Integral Family Development, which is a social assistance institution in Mexico. So, Conference well, backwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the actual like it's IMD, Spanish, not DIF. Well, no, I'm sure that the Spanish name of it is <laughs> why it's DIF, but that was the English name for it. So I just didn't write down yeah. the Spanish name. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so this conference had two purposes. Firstly, it was to celebrate her public works with the DIF and all the stuff she did there. Secondly, it was to act also as like a campaign event because she was looking to become the next mayor of Iguala. So it was kind of like a networking opportunity, but she's already the wife of the mayor. So, I mean, that's kind of, I don't think that really necessarily means that you need to network, but it is what it is. I mean, she probably wanted to do it and make a name for herself. True. Instead of having to rely on her husband, because that's what I would want to do. Yeah. Although, as we go through this, you'll kind of see that there's some uh, government corruption that is <laughs> rampant in these parts. So. Isn't that always the case? <laughs> You're not wrong. That's always the case. What do you mean? <laughs> the government is corrupted. I don't know. What do you want? So, accounts from here start to vary about what actually happened. So, the official police reports... If you believe them, I don't. They say that they chased the students because they had hijacked the buses. However, the students were saying that, well, I should say, not all of the students disappeared, obviously, because there were over 100 of them and only 43 of them disappeared. And then uh, I believe six of them were confirmed dead. So for the ones who got away, they were saying that they had been protesting and hitchhiking when they clashed with the police. So, like, they were saying that they hadn't actually, like, common, they hadn't commandeered or hijacked the buses, that they had been picked up by the buses and that the buses had agreed to take them to where they were going. So, police attempted to intercept the students by setting up roadblocks, and when they did, they opened fire on the buses. That we know for sure happened because the buses were riddled with um, bullets and left in the city streets and there was blood everywhere after the fact. So we know for sure that happened. That's a little rude. Yeah. That's rude. So when they did that, two students, uh, two students, <laughs> two students, yes, two students, uh, two students were shot in one of the buses and others fled the scene. They later came back to speak with reporters. I do. I only saw one of the names of the boys or of the students who was shot on the bus, and it was Aldo Gutierrez Solano, um, and he was shot in the head. 
There were unidentified gunmen who opened fire at another bus about three hours later. They, I guess, maybe thought these were more students. However, it was actually carrying a local soccer team. And so, yeah. So as a result, the bus driver, one of the soccer players, and then a woman inside of a taxi that was near the bus were all killed. Witnesses reported seeing students rounded up and forced into police cars after the shooting. And we'll go into that a little bit more later. And then the following morning, the corpse of another one of the students, his name was Julio Cesar Mondragon. He had attempted to run away during the gunfire the night before, but he obviously didn't make it. However, his eyes were gouged out and the skin of his face was flayed back to a bear skull. So he was clearly tortured. Like, yeah, he wasn't just shot. He was tortured. So keep that in mind as we go into some of the stuff later. Rude. Uh, Agreed. (laughs) So this is part one of how fucked up this whole situation is. So... Initially, it was reported that 57 students had gone missing, but 14 of them had actually found their ways back to their families or returned safely to the college. Some of the students who had escaped, like they heard that the other students had been taken in by police. So they went to these police stations to attempt to bail out the other students. But they were told that the students weren't at any of the police stations that they went to. Like, they kept going to different ones, and each of them were saying, no, they're not here. So they were like, well, where are they? You know, it's 43 people mm-hmm. at least. Like, they don't just up and disappear. Yeah. It's, you can't <laughs> hide. It's kind of hard to hide 43 people. Yeah. So in total from that night, six people were confirmed dead. Um, I did say earlier it was six students. I misspoke. It was six people total, and three of them were students. And 25 were injured, and 43 students disappeared without a trace. So... We're going to talk about the investigation. And as the investigation unfolded, an official narrative came out about what happened that day. But you're going to see why it has since been widely disputed (laughs) that, like, this isn't how it happened. So the attack made international headlines and the Mexico state was urged to do an in-depth investigation into the disappearances. So about two days after the event On September 28th, 22 police officers were arrested for their use of excessive deadly force with the shooting and the disappearance of the students. I mean, as they should be. They were literally just going to protest. Yeah. It's not like they were going to murder. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is that, like... I mean, were they doing, like, a peaceful protest, or...? Well, to my knowledge, that's what it was. I don't know. I, like, I can't say for sure. The police were saying that... They believed the students had hijacked the buses, and so that's why they like open fire. But even How do you still, hijack a bus. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there's a, a decent number of students, but like, I don't know. I there's a lot the of bus driver could just like close the bus door. There's a lot of inconsistencies with what the police say, and you'll see why as we go. <laughs> a total of 280 officers had been called in for questioning, but only um, all but 22 were actually released without charges. So. There's that. And ultimately, 16 of the 22 police officers. Yeah, that's it's still a lot. Like, that's. I mean, that's that's, still like out of 200. Yeah, it's a little number, but like 22 for 22 police officers to Mm -hmm. have been like charged with something, I guess it's pretty good. Yeah. Ultimately, 16 of the 22 police officers were determined to have used firearms against the students. So I don't know what happened with the other. Six. Yeah, six. I don't know what happened with them. I just know that 16 for sure had actually been charged with that. 
So on September 29th, the mayor of Iguala claimed that he had no prior knowledge of the shooting incident and couldn't have been involved because he was at the DIF event. He also claimed to have not been aware of the missing students or the investigation into the disappearance. Keep in mind, this is three days later. This all happened how do you in, not know? in the city. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how do you not? Well, it's least... also international, so. Well, that too. But it's like, you're in that city. You would think you would have at least heard gunshots. So you would have known something happened. Well, you're and also if, the mayor. Yeah. And if he had security, which I imagine he does as the mayor, like, I imagine they would have tried to make sure he was safe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I've never been in that position, but. It sounds sketchy if you ask me. <laughs> so the former president of the mayor's political party had actually talked with him and he requested that he petition a resignation. Basically the whole, uh, oh. you should step down <laughs> so, that, so that we don't, so that you don't get fired, you know, that kind of thing. So he... Yeah, for drinking cocktails instead <laughs> of dealing yes. with your people. Yeah. But the mayor said that he wasn't going to tender a resignation, but he did say that he would cooperate if he was investigated. However, <laughs> why would he be investigated? The, yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. <laughs> on September 30th, <laughs> on September 30th, which is the next day, the mayor asked for a 30 day leave of absence, which was granted by the city council. He then left Guerrero to skip the country with his wife and children before federal agents oh. arrived to ask him <laughs> to ask questions. So, because, so predictable. I know, right? So, hello. This man is literally fleeing. The, the, <laughs> he's literally fleeing. The country. The well, at least the town. We don't know if he fled the country, but we know he at least left the town <laughs> right before the feds were coming to question him. So he was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Like, mm. anyway, but because he had an order of appearance and he didn't show, his home was searched. I guess that's kind of the same thing as like a warrant, an order of appearance. So an order of appearance was also issued for the Iguala police chief, Felipe Flores Velasquez, but he wasn't able to be located either. <laughs> so hmm. on October 18th, so this hmm. is a couple weeks later, the leader of Guerreros Unidos, uh, which is a cartel in the area i add a little oh! information about them later okay <laughs> he was arrested under suspicion that the gang might have been involved in the abduction and murder of the students uh the leader's name was this is one of the ones that i haven't seen before so i apologize cedronio casarubius salgado <laughs> it's a very uh pretty good fun name casarubius i like that name it's fun to say salgado Assuming that I'm saying it correctly, of course. Uh, it was reported on the 22nd of October that the mayor had ordered the arrest of the students. It so did smell is... like cartel. So apparently the Mexican government said that they had discovered that the local cartel had paid the police $45,000 in US, in U.S. equivalent money a month to keep the police on the cartel's payroll. You know, we don't know if that's actually for sure. It <laughs> always happens: a corrupted government and a cartel, mm -hmm. or a mob, yep. or a gang. So, of course, as this information starts to come to light, the mayor, his wife, and the police chief are all declared fugitives. 
and for being like direct participants in this whole thing. An additional thing for the mayor and his wife is that he, I guess they were apparently also participants in the earlier torture and murder of an activist named Arturo oh Hernandez God. Cardona. <laughs> so what are they having against these kind of, people? I know. Well, I'm assuming it's just people who didn't approve of them or their politics, maybe, and they just so decided to get them? rid of them. Jesus. Apparently that's right. a very common thing because there's another person later on who's going to get in trouble for doing that as well. So after they left the town of Iguala, the police located all of the properties that they owned, but they weren't able to locate them at any of those properties. They were finally arrested on November 4th. <laughs> this made me laugh because the way it was written, but it was by, quote, an elite squadron of the federal police. And it made me think of <laughs> Law and Order, an elite squad known as the Special Victims Union. Special Victims <laughs> Union. Anyway. Olivia and Elliot would never. <laughs> you right. Yeah, they were arrested on November 4th in Mexico City, where they had been hiding at a home that belonged to one of their daughter's friends. So they weren't Chill staying the at country. one of their own places. <laughs> Agreed. But I guess the reason why they found they found them was because they noticed the friend, like they connected that the friend was friends with the daughter, and they noticed that she was going to and from this house that appeared to be abandoned, like there was no activity that they could see in the house. And so that's yeah. how they figured out, oh, there must be, like somebody's probably in there. And so then, yeah, they found them that's there. Pretty smart. Okay. So on January 27, 2015, this is when the official narrative of what happened came out. Uh, it's called, quote, the historic truth, unquote. So the attorney general, Mario Karam, told the public they initially stated that the cartel had mistaken the students for members of a rival gang called Los Rojos and killed them for that reason. They effectively attempted to close the case with this conclusion. But the conclusion was widely rejected by the victim's family. And we're going to go a little bit more in depth about what the official narrative said happened on that day. Because I want you guys to determine what you feel. Maybe there's some truth in it. Maybe it's all made up. Maybe they're trying to protect somebody. Just I want to know your opinion. So they said after being rounded up by the police on the night of the shootings the students were taken to the iguala police station before being handed over to the police in a town called cocula they were then transported to a rural community known as pueblo viejo on the orders of the cocula deputy police chief nasar nava gonzalez at some point in this whole thing this, while the students were still alive they were handed over to guerreros unidos a criminal organization in guerrero Guerreros Unidos is a group that splintered off from another drug cartel called the Biltron Leva. Probably misspelled or mispronounced that, but whatever. <sighs> High-ranking leader in the gang, Gildardo Lopez Asturio, uh, aka El Cabo Gil, was his, I guess, his pseudonym. <laughs> El Cabo Gil. He contacted Salgado, who was the guy I mentioned earlier, who was like the head honcho stating that the people he had in custody were a threat to the gang's control of the area. The leader then, because he had that idea that these students were a threat, he gave the okay to kill the students. Then, according to the investigators, the students were taken to a dump site in the outskirts of Kokula, where 15 students had died on the way of suffocation, and the others were killed by other means by... They had three names. 
uh, Patricio Reyes Landa, Jonathan Osorio Gomez, and Agustin Garcia Reyes. So the three suspects in question then allegedly dumped the bodies into a pit. Others burned the bodies by using diesel, gasoline, tires, wood, and plastic to help like kindle the fire. I they feel like also just a, destroyed. Like- one of those would probably suffice. I don't think they need all of them, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you got it, right? You're in a landfill. I mean, diesel, gasoline, <laughs> tires. Okay. Ew, and I but know that smelled. But it's 43 bodies. So maybe that maybe gasoline was just so expensive they didn't have enough. So that's why they're yeah, like, oh, just throw whatever you got in there. $4 a gallon. I'm sure it was very expensive. <laughs> So they also destroyed the students' clothes and I believe their own to get rid of any evidence because that's what you do. You don't leave it lying around. Imagine just all of them, uh, like, after murdering all these people, just walking away naked because they burnt their clothes. <laughs> and you just see this gang of, like, well, naked people. I mean, it is what it is, right? You're not gonna, you're not gonna do anything. They got guns. <laughs> I mean, like, you think they, like, brought a change of clothes? I would hope so. I don't, I don't, I don't imagine that they would have gone into this and been like, oh, well, what do we do now? You know, <laughs> I would hope they were a little bit smarter you know? than that. A couple sandwiches for lunch. <laughs> I mean, so they basically kept the fire going until I think they said like two or three in the afternoon the next day from midnight. So like they would have had to bring food <laughs> at some point. Just, you know, have a little picnic beside this pile of bodies. <laughs> Can somebody go to uh, In-N-Out and grab us a couple of burgers? <laughs> It's so not funny. I'm just like imagining the thought process because if you're gonna burn that yeah. many bodies, you've got to have some kind of plan to survive. Yeah. Uh, so they fed the fire until the next afternoon, and that's when they say they placed the remains that were left after they like tamped down the fire into eight plastic bags and dumped them in the San Juan River in Cocula. And they How said that when all fire? of this was. We'll see. That's <laughs> we're gonna. The next section is controversy, so we're gonna talk oh. about that in just a little bit. Okay. So when when this was all done, El Cabo Gil, our, our good friend Gil, texted Salgado to confirm the deed had been done, and this was a quote. So I don't know if this is like actually something that was said or if that was something they tried to make it seem like was said by this guy. But it said, "quote We turned them into dust and threw their remains in the water." They meaning the authorities will never find them, unquote. Well, I hope he didn't text that, because that's a very incriminating text message. It is. But the reason why I found out about it was because there were incriminating text messages, just not these text messages. I wish people would be so much smarter when they're... I mean, I'm glad that they were stupid and they got caught, but, like, Jesus Christ, we've all seen enough movies. You don't text. You don't ever bring your phone. And this happened in 2014. So it's not like this was back in like the be- the beginning ages of cell phones when people still didn't know that like people could get access to their phone records or whatever. Like <laughs> This is pretty good. Okay. So, on November 7th, 2014, the attorney general that I mentioned earlier announced to the families that several plastic bags containing human remains were found near a river in Kokula and could potentially belong to the students. They said they were led to those by the three members that I mentioned earlier who claimed to have like killed the students and buried them or whatever. Uh, the families refused to accept that the family members were dead and they believed that the government was attempting to close the case quickly to counteract the public outrage surrounding the case rather than actually doing a thorough investigation. 
Wow, which seems like a majority possible. of the cases that happen. Yes. <laughs> they did say that once there was actual like scientific proof from independent investigation and or investigators that they would believe the outcome, like if there was actual like DNA evidence saying that these were like the students. So the main reasons why the official narrative was being widely criticized were because two independent teams of experts expressed their opinions that cast doubt on the government's investigation. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. So they Mm. said, firstly, there were no signs of a fire of that size in the dump in question. Mm. (laughs) Like they stated a specific dump. So like you would. I was going to say somebody would see that though. I imagine if it lasted that long, it had to be huge with all the shit they were adding to keep it burning. And somebody would have either smelled it or seen the smoke because, like, not only is it burning flesh, but it's the tires, the plastic. Like, somebody would have seen something. Or smelled it. Yeah. There is no evidence of a fire of that size. And then they also said that several of the confessions were revealed to have been extracted under torture. Wow, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then there was also evidence of mismanaged, like, chain of custody issues. Like, yeah, don't people couldn't, yeah, people couldn't tell who was handling what, where it came from, if evidence was planted, you know, things like that. So, thus far, only three of the missing students have been confirmed dead after the remains were sent to the Austria based University of Innsbruck for identification. The three students that were identified were Alexander Mora Venancio, Christian Alfonso Rodriguez. And uh, most recently was Giovanni Guerrero de la Cruz. Uh, the first two were 19 years old and the last one was 20 years old. However, they were not found at the dump site. <laughs> so they found these bone fragments in a ravine that was about half a mile away from the dump site, which differs from that original narrative. So that's another reason why it cast out on that theory. Hmm. And then because the chain of custody was broken with the first student's remains, um, it's hard to determine the actual, like, location where they found it. Some believe that they planted that evidence. What made them look over there? Um, An anonymous tip, I believe. I I thought I wrote that down. But, yeah, I think somebody called in an anonymous tip, I think, with the second one, where they said to take a look at this place uh, that was about half a mile from the dump site. And that's how they found the remains there. So interesting. Yes. (laughs) Incredibly interesting. So as you can see, pieces here aren't connecting and uh, seems like there's some, some cover up happening, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's why when I said, like when I told you that this case was all over the place, it's because I was like, Oh, I was not expecting that. Like, there's just mm-hmm. a lot happening. So, Iguala's deputy police chief, Francisco Salgado Valladares, was arrested on May 7th, 2015, by federal police in, I'm going to mispronounce this, Cuernavaca Mora- Morelos. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying. Uh, he was wanted for his alleged involvement in intercepting the students on their way to Iguala. Hmm. Um, reports indicated that he also had connections with Guerreros Unidos and received bribes from them to give to the other members of the police organization. Didn't see that coming. Um, the 
Iguala police chief Felipe Flores Velasquez was also arrested on October 21st, 2016, after two years of being on the run. So they finally found him. I didn't see how they found him, but they found him. (laughs) So on December 3rd, 2018, the newly elected president of Mexico, um, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, probably mispronounced that last one, (laughs) announced a truth commission was being created to lead new investigators into uh, to lead new investigations into the disappearances. Hmm. So hope was revitalized basically because the old president, they believed him and his administration were purposefully mishandling this investigation, weren't actually looking into it, trying to figure out what happened because they were trying to cover up for somebody makes or sense. multiple somebodies. Yeah, that makes sense. So, because this new president came in, he was like, "We're gonna, we're gonna lead new investigations," you know. Yeah. And um, there were some uh, human rights organizations, and then also independent investigators who stepped in again for this other for this in- investigation to help with that as well. Interesting. So. There are some who are still concerned about the approach that was being taken with this new investigation. Mm-hmm. This was a quote from Irene Teo Arista, uh, director of the think tank Impunidad Cero. Mm-hmm. She said, quote, it's worrying that they are still trying to go after the material authors, but not the intellectual authors. They need to go after not just those accused of kidnapping, but also those who gave the orders, whether the municipal police, state police, or the army, unquote. Hmm. And I agree. Yeah, like, I do too. If they were involved, and I, if this were to happen in the United States, I would say the exact same thing. Like, yeah. we have qualified immunity here, and I think it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I think it's bullshit. Like, if you did something wrong on the job, then you should not get qualified like you shouldn't have this blanket that protects you from that well i think because if you didn't do anything wrong well i think like that's that's the whole point of an investigation like that's the whole point of internal investigation or whatever is to figure out whether you did something wrong or not well the whole thing with police if you're in law enforcement or a government agency you automatically get that blanket um immunity really irritates me because there's so Mm -hmm. many times when there's like a power trip i've seen it myself when my Mm -hmm. own case when they're not doing something correctly and they automatically get blanket immunity and it's so fucking bullshit because they are purposely and a lot of times it's on purpose they're purposely not doing their job because they know that they can't get in trouble what do they get uh paid administration leave yeah and, like, even if they do get fired from that police department, there's no centralized database that, cal- that like, has all the information about the misconduct that these police officers have. So they can very easily just get another job in a different state, and that organization's yeah. going to be none the wiser. So it's, like... Well, most of the time, they tell them to resign. Yeah. Instead of being fired so that it doesn't look as bad on, mm-hmm. on them. Which is, mm-hmm. like, I understand wanting to protect the your your brothers and sisters in arms right however if you are doing it to the detriment of the trust in the community that you are trying to serve then maybe you shouldn't be a police officer hot take yeah all right in september of 2019 gilberto our friend gil was acquitted of the charges due to insufficient evidence because he was also one of the many whose confession was coerced via torture. And we're going to go into this a little bit more in just a second. 
There is another person who is like the replacement leader of the gang, who I believe might have been the brother of the old one who was arrested in June of 2020. Uh, it was believed that he might have actually been the one who was responsible, but I only saw that in like one or two places. So I don't really have a whole lot of information on him and what developed from that. Okay. So... Oh, so I did write it down. I just didn't have it with the other thing. But in July of 2020, an anonymous tip led the investigators to a spot in Kokula where they found that bone fragment of uh, Christian um, about half a mile from where the other remains were found. Or quote unquote remains. The plastic bags and stuff. Okay, so some more recent developments yeah. that happened literally within the last two years. Like <laughs> starting from September 2020 up to uh, October 2021. Yeah, so a lot of stuff has happened since then. September of 2020, the Mexican government began seeking the arrest and extradition of former criminal investigation agency official Tomas Zeron de Lucio from Israel. They believed originally he was in Canada, but then he fled to Israel for, like, protection. So Tomas was one of the people who (laughs) came up with the official narrative like the reason why they were trying to arrest him was because of serious irregularities yeah. in the investigation into the incident. He, along with five other wow, former officials, <laughs> yeah, he, along with five other former officials, are facing charges that include torture, forced disappearance, and judicial misconduct. So, <laughs> seventy-seven individuals who had been implicated in the crime had their charges dismissed because they the confessions were forced under torture. So it's like even if it was true. Like, that sort of thing happens here. Like, if the confession is coerced, even if what they said is true, it's inadmissible in court. Like, you can't use it because it was under duress. (laughs) And it's like... Yeah. You You just have to prove that it's under duress. Yeah. And I mean, if I remember right, they actually had something on video that showed him being involved in this. I don't know if he actually, like, was doing the torturing or if he was at least just there in the room while it was happening. Either way, he was involved. Yeah. So they they had, like, evidence of it. Um, And then I saw that a new warrant was issued for him in April of 2021, but I don't think he's actually been arrested yet. So, in November of 2020, an army captain was standing trial in connection to the case. His name is Jose Martinez Crespo. He was charged with his alleged connection to Guerreros Unidos. A witness alleged that he was on the gang's payroll, and he was also on patrol the night of the attack. The fact that he was there that night and didn't intervene, you know, that's a little sketchy. So we'll see what well, happens with that one. He's on the payroll, guys. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see, you know. On J- January 21st, 2021, it was reported that a witness known as, quote, Juan, unquote, so it, an anonymous <laughs> witness, uh, said soldiers held some of the students... Juan. Uh, said soldiers held some of the students at a local army base and interrogated them before they turned them over to the Guerreros Unidos. This information was apparently leaked to the media because the president confirmed that that was in the file that was um, part of this army general's case, I guess, the case against him. And so they were going to try and figure out where the leak was coming from. The families are obviously concerned about the leaks of witness testimony because Things like that apparently also happened under the they former administration. And the, yeah, there's that too. They they also they be just, murdered. yeah, they don't want the witness to be murdered. They don't want like, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but having witness testimony being leaked means that there's obviously somebody in the organization who's trying to sabotage the case too, which you don't want. <laughs> 
Um, Juan also stated that the gang hacked up some of the students with machetes and took the remains to a crematorium controlled by the gang, and others were dissolved in acid. So the evidence found at the dump was allegedly brought there to push the official narrative was another thing that he claimed. The thing is, is that because he's an anonymous witness, it's hard to say whether or not this is actually like real or if this is, yeah, because it's, it's also just the word of one guy versus a bunch of other stuff. So unless there's like actual evidence to go with that testimony, we don't know if this is actually genuinely true or not. And then that said, former defense minister Salvador Cienfuegos Zepeda had repeatedly refused to allow access to the soldiers at the base for interrogation when he was in that position. So, again, more people trying to protect other people from potential consequences. Yeah. So corruption all over the place. All right. January 24th, 2021, a federal police commander in Iguala at the time of the kidnapping, Luis Antonio Dorantes Macios, uh, was sentenced to prison for his involvement. July of 2021, parents of the students were found to be targets of surveillance, presumably by the Mexican government, using a program called Pegasus. Oh my god. Yes. So the program is called Pegasus, and it was described as a sophisticated spyware made by Israeli company NSO Group. So basically, they were being spied on. I think some of the um, attorneys who were representing family members were also being spied on. So (laughs) that's intense. That's so terrifying. Yes. And then this is the part that I mentioned earlier. This is how I found out about what what this case was. So October 2021, transcripts of text messages exchanged between our good friend Gil and uh, oh, Gil. <laughs> Francisco Salgado Valladares, who was part of the army stuff. Um, they were released by the army, indicating what happened to at least 38 of the 43 missing students. Uh, So the police chief texted Gil about having arrested two groups of students. He said there were 21 of them being held on a bus and 17 more being held, quote, in the cave, unquote. Don't know what that means, but it is what it is. Gil responds. the cave, (laughs) Brie. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You're right. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) So Gil responded by. God. (laughs) Sorry. That was that was my ignorance. (laughs) Okay, so Gil responded by arranging a point of transfer on a rural road near the town. He stated that he, quote, had beds to terrorize, unquote, the students in, and he wanted them all. Jesus. So. These poor fucking students are just trying to live their life, just trying to peacefully protest, just trying to graduate. Yeah. Uh, They made plans to meet at a place called Wolf's Gap, and Salgado told Gil to ensure that he had enough men to handle the job. Sagato also responded saying Jesus. that the packages were delivered, which kind of lends credence to one of the theories that we're going to talk about in just a second. Because some people have theories as to why people are trying to, like, cover for these government people. And, mm. yeah, so we'll get to that in just a second. The exchange supports at least part of the initial narrative that had originally been released, that the police and the cartel had these connections and that they were working together on this. So <laughs> that's that's that was a big like a big drop in the case, like a big piece of evidence. It kind of blows everything mm-hmm. out of the water. It reinvigorates the investigation. The fact that the army waited so long before releasing those though, it does raise some questions about their involvement. It's like why did you wait until now to release this? How long have you had it? Yeah. Are you 
Well, only... maybe they haven't had it that long. It's possible. Or there's the possibility of them maybe, like, redacting it to the point where it's, like, any involvement by the army was... Yeah, was not mentioned. Who knows, you know? I did see, however, that there are some people who say that the army in Mexico controls the drug trade in that area of Mexico. So there's another possibility, is that they're trying to protect their own interests again. And then also in October of 2021, uh, Felipe Rodriguez Salgado, an alleged leader of Guerreros Unidos, told investigative journalist Annabel Hernandez that Tomas Saran, the uh, CIA guy or whatever, he had attempted to bribe him uh, to frame the three guys that I mentioned earlier who apparently led the police to these bags that had the remains in it. He claims Zoran offered him 4 million pesos, which I believe they said was equivalent to $195,000 in American dollars. Um, so about that much to implicate the former mayor and also those three guys that I mentioned earlier. He says he rejected the offer and that he had also been tortured. So like anything that he said probably can't be admissible in the court of law. So some of the theories. Um, our, our girl, Annabelle, she believes that the Mexican army, the 27th Infantry Battalion of the Mexican army were involved in the murder and kidnapping. So she wrote a book called A Massacre in Mexico, The True Story Behind the Missing 43 Students. So I didn't read it gonna be honest like i have not had the time so i'm just gonna give you a quick summary of some of the points that i saw in the articles where she was talking about the book she claimed that some of the buses had been common that had been commandeered by the students were carrying at least two million dollars worth of heroin in them without the students knowledge mm. um and there are some independent experts that have suggested a similar theory that these dr- buses were transporting drugs she that believes, would make sense. Yeah, uh, like I would believe that. Uh, she believed a drug lord ordered the, bata- the battalion's colonel to intercept the drugs and because the students witnessed the attacks that they were killed as collateral. So that would make, maybe? that's I think the most plausible. Yeah, uh, it would make, it would make sense as to why these three, like you have the police, you have the army and then a drug cartel. It would make sense why all of them were working together in this especially if the army is known to control the drug trade yes in that area so on january 12th 2015 relatives and protesters attempted to gain access to the army base in iguala because they had a belief that soldiers had witnessed the clash before the disappearances and failed to intervene i don't i don't think anything really happened there i know that they mentioned that a door or something Mm -hmm. had been caught like had been caught on fire but i don't recall anything else coming out of that but another theory okay. was that the students angered Uni- the Guerreros Unidos by not paying extortion money. But I'm like, why would they be extorting <laughs> these poor students from this teacher college? You know, like what? What? I was about to say they're poor. Yeah. And then another theory, which is the final one that we're going to mention, is that the students were kidnapped and taken to a remote part of the mountains in Guerrero where they were being held as forced laborers. So some of the, I saw that some of the family members believe that they want to believe that their, their child or their brother or sister, or not brother or sister, brother, whoever. It's still alive. Yeah, it's still alive. And I get that because you never want to believe that the worst has happened and that this person is no longer living. It's been yeah. It's been seven years though, 
So I feel like we would have more answers if they were still alive. If if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, you never Not know. Not if everybody's working together. That's true. But I feel like that one is probably the least plausible out of all of them. Personally. No, I think the first one. Yeah. But yeah. I guess we'll kind of keep an eye on it and see if there are any developments that come out going forward. Because like I said, the only reason I found out about mm-hmm. this was back in October when those texts got leaked. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. There might be some more information that's going to come out of this very soon. So the aftermath. About 142 police had been arrested in connection with the case. 142 people had been arrested in connection with the case and about 44 of them were police officers. Ultimately, though, nobody has been convicted, so the case has remained technically unsolved. They're still working at it, but it looks like there's a lot of moving parts to it, so I'm not surprised that it's taking as long as it is. In the search for the bodies of the students, however, multiple mass graves have been found. None of the bodies, I think they said they found about 200 bodies. None of them match the students, but I feel like the fact that they were able to find these mass graves, they'll probably be able to give other families a sense of peace if like they'll have answers because like them they didn't have answers until these graves have been dug up Mm -mm. obviously the families have been like they've been pushing for answers one quote from one of the mothers of the students she said quote whether there be many or few nationally or internationally we'll keep pushing until we find out what happened until we find them unquote I think this case also highlights the crisis of forced disappearances in Mexico, which is essentially what this was. So there have been over 92,000 people who have, quote unquote, disappeared in Mexico since Mexico's drug war started in 2008. That's a lot of people. Jeez. That is a lot of people. Is the drug war still going on? Yes, I think so. The thing is, is that... I think they were trying to take after the U.S. in the, like, war on drugs type of thing, but it didn't work here either. Like, if anything, it just... Mm. It made mass incarceration worse, but that's about it. Like, it didn't really solve the drug problem. The only thing that I have to say about the mass incarceration is people who are incarcerated because of weed should be let go since it's going to be legalized everywhere soon yep but other than that i don't really i think it just depends with the other drugs because the other drugs are very harmful it was one of the things that i did my research on in my master's one of the discrepancies in the drug war though is that for example crack cocaine had a 100 times harsher sentence than powder cocaine so it's it's the same stuff, but crack is cheaper. Yeah, but I guess it's it's cheaper. But so it's, it's found also in made more... with like, which cheaper because it's made with like chemicals underneath your kitchen sink almost. Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that because it was cheaper, it's more often found in like poorer neighborhoods. So the fact mm-hmm. that it was like more harshly punished for somebody to be using crack cocaine than regular cocaine, like. It's still drugs. It's still cocaine. Like, it should have been Mm -hmm. treated the same. No, absolutely. I know that um, that has changed since, but for a while, it was, it was, it was very, there was a very big disparity there. But yeah, it's just, there's been a lot of stuff about the war on drugs that didn't help anybody. So, I, I don't have a whole lot of information on Mexico's drug war, 
but it obviously oh, it's not been good for the country. <laughs> it's not been good for the country. So no. So one of the parents of uh, the students, his name is Antonio Tizapa. He now lives in New York City, and he founded an organization called Running for Ayatsunapa 43. The website is going to be in the show notes, but the essential basis of it is, quote, an international community of amateur athletes based in New York City who run for truth and justice for the Ayatsunapa 43, for the tens of thousands of disappeared in Mexico, and to promote a dialogue and consciousness concerning human rights violations worldwide, unquote. So, if you live in NYC, I would recommend going to the website and checking it out and seeing if you want to join in one of these marathons or walks that they do. I believe they do walks monthly, but then they also do like a marathon annually on the anniversary. So check it out. Oh, that's nice. like I said, it's in the show notes. So, yeah, I'm I think the war on drugs in the U.S. is more focused on opioids now, though. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, but even then, I don't think it was. it's necessarily even a war on drugs at this point. Like, I think it's, the people no, have kind of I think it's... gone away from that, which, like, they should. No, it's not as, yeah. Like, what, Anyways, the, what, the, was... what the people need is help not to be thrown in jail with nothing. Mm-hmm. That's just my educated Unless you're a big-time drug dealer. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's... The drug dealers should be, but the people who are using the drugs, there's a reason why they're using the drugs. Usually, the it's, addicts. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely! Like, there's a reason why they're using them. They need help. They don't need to be behind bars. I could go on a very long no. rant. I've written well, many research papers about it. So. No, I agree. <laughs> if you, uh, I agree a hundred percent. I'll do that as a bonus episode. There we go. <laughs> no, I agree a hundred percent. Addicts should get help, but. Yeah. The dealers should yeah. be in jail. Oh, absolutely. Those guys Thank are... Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. They're preying on broken shit people. Bags. So, anyway. They're shitbags. Agreed. A thousand and twenty million percent. <laughs> They're a part of the Garbage Man Association. <laughs> you right. You right. That is everything for this episode. So, you said that you kind of believe the, the one where one of the buses was, like, carrying drugs, that theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. I, I agree. Because in my mind, there's not really a reason for the cartel to get involved other than that. Unless it's drugs! Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm leaning as well. I guess we'll see if anything pops up here soon with like information. Because there was that one text that I mentioned earlier in the episode where he said that the the uh, packages were delivered. So she pointed to that as being like, the the packages were drugs and not like the students being deli- dropped off to them. I don't know. I feel like it, that could have gone either way. But I do think that something happened. It's a little off topic. But my dream is to have like all the mobs and the gangs, like the the cartel and the Italian mob and the um, blood and the Crips and the skinheads. We put them all in arena and we have them all fight to the death. <laughs> and the winning one we put in jail. I, I like that idea. I, th- I think that would be good. Thank you. Yeah. Let's let's make it happen. I think it would be very entertaining. It's like it's like the Hunger Thank Games, you. except not with not with innocent people. Yeah, except it's for shitbags. <laughs> I approve. I approve of this concept. <laughs> All right. Well we'll have to pitch it to somebody. 
If anybody knows any reality... <laughs> Can somebody give me the phone to Olivia Vincent? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody know any uh, reality TV show producers? We got we got some we got some ideas for them. So that yeah. is... <laughs> I think it'll be bigger than the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. All right. So that is everything for us this evening. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We're on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We are also on Facebook at Shockingly Wicked Podcast and YouTube at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We also have our website, which is Shockingly Wicked or Shockingly Wicked Podcast.com. They'll take you to the same place. You can find all sorts of information there, like everywhere that you can listen to us that I am aware of. It's possible that it's on other websites that I didn't put it on, <laughs> but there's a lot of ones listed there. There's information about us. There's a link to our Patreon, which is Shockingly Wicked Podcast as well. Any money that you give to us through Patreon goes right back into the podcast, making it better for you guys. Um, we would eventually like to hire some people to help us with this. I know Britt would like somebody to do research for her. I would like somebody to do all of the video <laughs> stuff because I am I'm exhausted <laughs> from doing transcripts. I have so many that I have to do, and I have just stared at them and not done any of it. Just so. don't do them. That I'm, I, that's just don't do them. That, that's that's where I'm at at this point. So, so go ahead and check that out. If you have any case suggestions, I realize I have not been doing this. So if you have any case suggestions, feel free to email us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com or you can submit through our website. There's a contact form on the contact us page. Um, you can just like select whatever the topic is. I believe case suggestions is one of the drop downs. So reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts find us on spotify because you can now rate on spotify so rate us on spotify if you enjoy us leave only us, good reviews yeah leave us a review on apple itunes <laughs> if you're if you're feeling nice we like seeing what you guys enjoy about the show so again thank you so much follow us on social media who knows you might actually interact with one of us probably brit though i very rarely sign on <laughs> So that's it. That is all for us this evening. We are going to be taking a break for next week. So we will not see you next week. We will see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.